Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm your host, Nate Aiken. Uh, before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you guys to join us uh, for our next Christ Center and Clear conference. It'll be Saturday, October 21st in St. Paul, Minnesota. We'll focus on how to see and share Jesus from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is also going to be the focus of our podcast over the next few months. We're going to work our way through each passage uh, week by week, connecting the work of Jesus to the promises God made in the Old Testament. Uh, to kick off the study of Hebrews, uh, I have with me Josh Redberg, regular a guest on the podcast, and also Matt Caps, who's also been a guest in the past. Along the way, we'll also hear uh, during this series from Dr. Moeller, who's written a commentary on Hebrews, and so excited uh, for what's in store for the podcast. Guys, thanks for jumping on. It's good to be here. Thanks, Nate. Great to be here. Well, let's let's start just with an intro podcast about um, about Hebrews, and I think the best place to start is one of those controversial things about Hebrews, and that is, who wrote it? And does that even matter to know who wrote it? So, so Cavs, let's start with you, brother. Uh, yeah, I don't think that authorship is determinative in the argument of the book. Um, I think it's been a matter of conjecture throughout church history. I mean, you guys know it's been posited that it was uh, Barnabas, Apollos, Clement, Paul, Luke. Um, I like Origen's quote, um, who, who actually wrote the epistle of Hebrews? Only God knows. Uh, that's not really a cop-out. Now, I have mm-hmm. my own um, imaginative conjecture, if you will, but I think it's plausible. So I'd just like to throw this out there and get you guys to respond. I can't wait. Um, no doubt. I think, I, I think that Hebrews is a joint effort between Paul and Luke, and here's why. Paul is arguably the most studied um, in the Old Testament based on his pre-conversion training, um, and because of the intricate references of uh, the Old Testament persons, institutions, and themes in the book, um, and the, the primary audience being that of uh, the Hebrew people. Um, it's also considered, the book itself, Hebrew, is considered to be one of the most um, beautifully written and stylistically polished books in the New Testament. And I think Luke has that ability based on his other writings. And so um, you, you take those factors into consideration, and then the idea that, that Paul and Luke travel together around about Acts 16 and on, uh, which would match about the time of them of that book being written, and both are a contemporary of uh, Timothy, who is also mentioned in chapter thirteen, and both um, traveled with him. So, um, I've often wondered if kind of the the seed of this book was sown as Paul and Luke were listening to Stephen's sermon in Acts seven, because essentially what Stephen was doing in Acts seven was weaving a, a biblical theology and showing how Christ is the center of everything. And so it's fun for me to imagine Paul and Luke, post-conversion Paul, talking about maybe perhaps the sermons of Stephen and Peter and the other apostles as they as they preach, because they were doing biblical theology, working on this and then presenting this book to be circulated among Jewish Christians to kind of connect the two Testaments. That's my hypothesis. So was like Luke the ghostwriter? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if Luke was the ghostwriter for Paul. Like, is his name in like the small font underneath the Apostle Paul? Well, well, no, obviously there's no there's no name and mention of who wrote the book, right? So um, it's kind of I don't, I don't know. It's like a joint effort. I, I just imagine them sitting in a room and Paul's just making all these connections 
of Old Testament institutions and themes and things, and Luke's just writing it down. And it's a polished presentation, a sermon, if you will, that connects the two Testaments. Interesting. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, Nate, I think it's interesting to to decide, to think about, um, you know, especially the Apostle Paul. I've heard those arguments, and I think it's hard to it's hard to picture him writing it just as he wrote the other letters because it sounds so much different. Now, you know, many people think it's a sermon. So could it be a Pauline sermon or I like Matt's idea that it could be a joint work, but like to think of it as just a regular letter of Paul, it reads so much different. Um, I, I sort of like the idea of Apollos. Uh, this is it, like Matt said, pure conjecture. We know it's inspired. Um, we know it had to be someone who was a close associate of the apostles, if not apostle himself. But when you think of Apollos' story in Acts 18, he's eloquent, he's competent in the scriptures, um, he's bold in how he speaks, he's taught then by Priscilla and Aquila how to explain more accurately, but then it ends in say, by saying this, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Mm. And that's a pretty good description mm. of the book of Hebrews. Mm. So <laughs> I'm just going to throw yeah. Apollos into the ring. <laughs> I don't have any idea though. And I don't think it matters. Yeah. I am. I'm a proponent of Apollos. I'm I'm with you there. I actually, we have a baby boy on the way. I pushed for that name. My wife is not feeling it though. So could you go Apollos Creed uh, as his middle name? Oh, I like that. There's like (laughs) like multiple levels there, both biblical and yeah. Well, yeah. And the office and Rocky and there's lots of things we can do. How, we can do so many options. How about Luke with the yeah. middle name Paul? Yeah. Hmm. I'll Luke give some thought not, to it. Thank you guys. Not quite as excited. How about Matt or Josh? Yeah, that's good. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that um, is. I've been pushing for a Josh in my church, a kid to be named Josh for a long time, and I'm oh for fifteen years right now. <laughs> that, it's got a good it's got a good biblical name too. <laughs> um do you guys I mean y'all y'all sort of hit on this. Josh, but maybe I'll come back to you first. Do you think it matters for the argument of the book? I don't think it does. Um, the the yeah. author doesn't include much personal information, so it, it is different in the way he does. I mean, I preached through Second Corinthians not too long ago, which is a highly personal book where his life is a character, if you will, in the story. And that is not, mm-hmm. I mean, even the the small personal references are much more directed to the community, you know, speak to this person, mention this person, then about himself. So I think it's intentionally, he's intentionally not putting himself as a character really in the, in the epistle. Matt, have you preached it? I have not, I have not preached the book, but I have taught through it in um, different churches on like a Wednesday night type setting. And we trusted you to be on the podcast? (laughs) I guess so. He wrote a book on Hebrews, (laughs) not the book of Hebrews, but a book on Hebrews. Right. He wrote a book on Hebrew. No, I'm just messing with you, Matt. Josh, have you preached through the whole book? I have. I preached it a few years. How many sermons? We did 22. So um, just about a little under two, um, a chapter. It was moving pretty fast, um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was good. What are the main themes in the book? Um, I would, if I were to narrow it down to two, I would say the first one would be something like Christ above all. So God's glory and redemptive plan is fully and most clearly revealed in Christ. And really, the, I think the central argument of much of the book is that, that Jesus is superior to um, and greater than any angel, priest, or old covenant institution. That's um, 
the, the idea of Christ being greater or better than is repeated over and over and over. So in Christ, we see the fulfillment of all the Old Testament hopes and, and promises. And um, so I think that's the first one, Christ above all. Second, I would say the ideas of faith and perseverance together. So the idea that faith is necessary to please God and participate in these eternal promises, but also perseverance is necessary or perseverance in the faith is necessary to receive those promises in full. So on the other side of those two, you could say without faith, one faces eternal judgment for sin. Without perseverance, one proves that their faith was never true or lasting in the first place. So Christ above all, faith and perseverance, I had to narrow it down to just two really big ideas as the main themes. Josh, how would you correct Matt or add to Matt? I know I think he's right on on this one. I mean, I think they're tied so tightly together, but I think the setting of the book seems to be written to um, Christians, most likely from a Jewish background, um, that were facing this temptation through persecution and suffering to walk away from the faith. So he says in chapter 10, in one of the most really personal parts of the letter, he says, remember these earlier days after you'd been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle mm-hmm. with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. And he goes on to say, so don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. And so I think that's, I think that's a huge key to interpreting the the book. The, the fact that Christ is greater certainly is throughout and it's what's drawing them. It's, it's helping them endure. But this is, this is the context in which he's writing to people who are looking at it and saying, you know, maybe, I should go back to Judaism. Maybe I should go back to temple worship because, you know, I still think it was faithful and and it didn't cost what this costs. And so I think that's a that's a way to really to interpret to help understand why he keeps saying these things about Christ is there for this purpose of of helping these suffering Christians that are wavering right. maybe say like I'm I'm I want I'm going to follow Christ more than anything else. Nate, there's also a, I think, a big theme of community and how like this is a part of our, our, our endurance as Christian community. So you have that, that well-known, um, you know, the end of chapter three, where it talks about we need to be exhorted daily, lest we be hardened by sin. You have chapter 10, this, what I just read, where it talks about you're in this together, you're encouraging those who are suffering and imprisoned. And then chapter 13, all of it is really the living out of of your faith within the community and how that helps you endure. Like you, you love each other in such a way that you're, you're helping each other, um, you know, continue to follow Christ and see him in the midst of all this. So I think another, maybe it's not a main theme, but it's maybe just right underneath that is a sense of community as a part of our endurance in faith. Matt, you, we mentioned you wrote a book on Hebrews. Tell us about the book. What was the aim behind it? Uh, and just give the hearers a little bit of what um, you, were, you were attempting to do in that. Yeah, so um, so a- after seminary, I started reading biblical theology a little bit. I was trying to get my hands on anything I could. Um, I had studied Old Testament and New Testament in separate courses in seminary, and um, but didn't have a good handle on how to put them together. So I started reading Graham Goldsworthy and Ed Clowney and Daniel Fuller, Desmond Alexander, Meredith Klein, anybody I could kind of grab onto to help figure out how these two fit together. Um, and then I think it was 2013 or 14, I taught a class on the book of Hebrews in my local church. 
And it was about the same time that Crossway had announced their Knowing the Bible series, the 12-week studies on each book of the Bible. So I just reached out to Dane Ortland and asked if anyone had written or had been contracted to write Hebrews, and if not, if he'd be open to me submitting um, a proposal or to be the author. Um, because, and the reason is, if you take my, my desire to learn biblical theology, um, and then the book of Hebrews, which contains like 35 direct quotations from the Old Testament, along with many more allusions and references. I mean, this, in the New Testament, this is the, 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 the prime biblical theology book, right? And so I felt like this is me working out my theology, but also wanting to contribute to this book study. And uh, so I submitted a chapter, um, a proposal, and he um, accepted it, and they extended a contract to me. And that's kind of where that book came from. It was just a desire to really understand how the two Testaments fit together. And it was really the outworking of my own learning in biblical theology. Mm. Nate, to nerd out on this just a little bit, um, Matt, tell him the story the Packer to the J.I. Packer part of this. Oh, oh yeah. So um, one of the great things about this study is that J.I. Packer was the editor uh, of this whole series. So I remember I turned in my manuscript and um, Dane Ortland was the kind of the, the project head here. And uh, they had to mail a printed copy of my manuscript over to Packer at this point. Right. So he's he does all the edits oh handwritten. Right. So Packer ma- mails it back. Um, it goes into publication. Um, about a year after it was published, I was in the Chicago area um, and decided to stop by Crossways just to meet Dane because um, he had been so gracious to me in this whole process as someone who didn't, ha- I hadn't written anything yet. And this was my first kind of writing project. Um, and so I go, we'll go into his office and we're just making small talk. He said, hey, um, I've actually got J.I. Packer's handwritten edits on your manuscript. W- would you want that? Do you want to take it home with you? And I was like, uh, yeah, I would love to have, I would love to have that. So he reaches in this in this um, in his in his drawer. He went and got it and, and handed it to me. And it was it was literally like a printed out copy of what I turned in with with Packer's edits, which made yeah. it so much better. And um, I've got those in my office. If anyone's ever around Fairview, you, you want to see them. I will I will pull them out of the safe place and let you take a look. But it's a pretty yeah. cool treasure to have, and it's part of being in this project. That's amazing, Josh. Let's go to another controversial part of the considering Hebrews. What what do you do with, how do you interpret the warning passages you find throughout the book? Well, I think it's certainly interpreted within the context, right, of this overall theme of enduring in the faith. And so um, it's recognizing that these aren't, these aren't things that are sort of separate. Like you, so if you approach a warning passage by itself, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So first thing is like teach through the whole book and then hit them as you approach, because there are some other places that aren't even what we consider warning passages, but they're starting to lead us towards the warnings. You know, so in chapter two, you know, after talking about Christ, it says, uh, you know, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more that we heard so that we will not drift away in Hebrews 2.1. Well, it's not a warning passage, but it's preparing us for it. All of these all of these descriptions of the uh, wilderness generation of Israelites are preparing us for the warning passages. So, so I think it's important if you're going to interpret them well to to interpret them within the context of sort of walking through the book. Um, but when I went through them, this is I described it to our people this way: it's possible to be part of the people of God, but not be a child of God. In other words, you can you can be included in so many things, you can experience so many things, but you can do it without actually having um, being united with Christ by faith. So 
in the first mm-hmm. one in chapter six, sort of the first major one, we also looked at what Jesus says in John 15 about the, the vine and the branches, a similar language about a lack of fruitfulness and the, the, the sort of the consequences of it. And so interpreting them sort of in light of each other, that, that Jesus regularly talked about how there are these people that were sort of generally his disciples. So they were included in the people of God, and yet they weren't actually united with him. So, you know, they, they were attached to him in some way, in some sense, but without actually sort of a life-giving spirit of Christ residing in them. And so I think, I think that's similar to what's saying here. Um, I think it's interesting, the first one in chapter six, it uses these words that are, are very, um, you know, almost like sensory words. And so I think it's talking about a person's experience, you know, versus uh, sort of declaration of like, you are united with Christ by faith. This, you've been declared righteous. It's these feeling words like to, it says once enlightened, tasted, shared, tasted, you know, it's these sense of like, they, they were part of this experience, but yet without the, the reality ever changing. And so that's how I, I interpreted them is just a warning to Christians. Listen, to ask yourself, am, am I simply sort of included with the people of God? I've experienced some of what they've experienced, just like those who followed Jesus did. Or am I actually united with Christ by faith? Have I received the spirit? You know, has he has have I experienced the new birth? Um, so so I think it's I think it's a warning to Christians to determine whether it's true or not. Could we say maybe around the people of God, but not included in the people of God in the sense of identity? Would yeah, certainly fair? not. Yeah, certainly not included, yeah. named with the people of God, but just sort of in this sense, yeah. like in our language would be, are you are you part of the church without actually being a Christian? Um, certainly in the South, right. we see a lot of that, um, but it can be true anywhere. Yeah. Um, they went out from us because they were not of us, so that, that type of sense. It's good. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the purpose and the composition of the book is important for this as well. So you think about the genre of Hebrews, like it, there's parts of it where it looks like an epistle, but there's no introduction. Um, and there's a lot of frequent kind of pastoral exhortations. And that's why, you know, as Josh mentioned earlier, people call it a sermon. I think that's helpful to read it as a sermonic letter, if you will, because if you think about the task of preaching and teaching, what happens in the moment of the sermon, what happens when you stand up to give warnings of continuing an unrepentant sin, when you when you stand up and exhort and challenge your people against um, unbelief and doubting and skepticism, um, there are people among you that you don't know where they are spiritually. And so if you can imagine this being that type of sermonic letter being read out loud, I think it just hel- it helped it helped me understand how to approach these passages in preaching and teaching because uh, you don't really know where your audience is or the people that are hearing you where they are spiritually. So you have to confront people with the need of self examination and a call to faith. And so I think that's a helpful way to kind of position yourself within um, the book and understand how to approach these these passages when you're teaching and preaching. So I think Max Matt's right there. Like if you were to there's, there's this debate about can a person fall away like a Christian, basically lose their salvation from these. Mm-hmm. But if you were to think about it like a sermon, a pastor stands up there and sometimes says, some of you, you have yes. you've sat here every week, you've been baptized, you've, you know, you've, you know, you know, you've cried tears, you've come to prayer meetings, you've done that. But the reality is you haven't actually experienced the regenerating work of the spirit. 
So you've heard everything you could possibly hear. And I think that's even the warning, right? Is mm-hmm. the, 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 right, the readers here, the listeners, there's nothing else for them. Like they've heard it all. They don't, they don't lack understanding of the gospel. So there's like, what, what's the other thing you're going to add? Like, oh, at this point, like, I didn't tell you like, oh, your sins are forgiven too. Or, oh, Jesus can, will take you to heaven. Like they've heard it all. So there's not, there's not mm-hmm. lit missing information, but in spite of everything they've heard, it's about as many times they've sat in a service, all of the things they've experienced, like they get the gospel, but they don't haven't actually received the gospel by faith. It hasn't produced the, the fruit of repentance and faith in their life. So if you think about it, like a preacher would say it, it helps you maybe not try to take it and run with it theologically in a direction that's not intended. Thanks for listening to the first half of our introduction to Hebrews. We'll be back with some more big questions about Hebrews next week. Make sure to join us then. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.